0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: There are parts of Australia that were built on industries like mining and power generation. For decades, parents, their children and their children's children got jobs for life at coal-fired electricity plants or mines. But as Australia's economy changes and climate change looms large, those communities are forging new opportunities to survive.
2: We have more people employed here now within the Latrobe Valley than we did have before Hazelwood shut down. So people say, you know, you lost a lot of jobs in the powers. Yes, we did. But we have more people employed now through projects and things that we've got going than we had before it shut down.
1: Hi, I'm Stephanie Smale. This week on Future Tense, how the communities that lived and breathed traditional industry are moving ahead, and a look at the new projects keeping them afloat as they adjust, refocus, and work to reimagine a viable future. In Victoria's Latrobe Valley, making electricity was a way of life. Workers at the Yalorn or Hazelwood Brown coal-fired power stations made good money and they generated a quarter of Victoria's baseload power supply. Ron Ibsen followed his grandpa and father into the business. But things started going downhill when privatisation hit in the mid-90s.
2: People lost their place. We used to be the generation of power, that was what we did. That was Latrobe Valley's place within the scheme of things and we... We had our own little martyrdom, we, uh, we knew it was dirty, we knew it was not great for health, but we did that anyway because it was better that it was down, down here and done there than everybody, say, burning their own woods like they used to do in the big cities. Drugs didn't really become a big issue, particularly amongst youth, uh, until there was no pathway for them for employment. For example, we used to do 600 apprentices a year under the SEC. Somebody told me the other day that there was three year not 303 so the people became a lot more depressed they're a lot more stressed down here we have the highest stress levels in victoria we have the highest domestic violence down here they have had for 14 years the psychosocial reliance on the power stations hasn't changed we still see it as the big employer it's not really if you do the numbers now it's it's absolutely not
1: but it was a month-long fire that jolted the community into action.
3: The terrible impact of the Hazelwood mine fire finally revealed how smoke from the blaze did cause deaths, prompting demands for justice.
1: They pushed for a second inquiry into the blaze, and when the Hazelwood plant shut down, won state government support to overhaul their economy. Karen Kane is the head of the La Trobe Valley Authority. She's in charge of rolling out that support. That means retraining workers for jobs in new industries and helping new businesses get going. There's a real interest now
4: to understand how we can take the expertise of this community, which is, you know, we've got the the energy grid here, we've got a lot of expertise in our community and our workforce, and how can we take that as a strength and build on that connected to uh, other energy options. That's the work that's underway at the moment. We've designed uh, a solar installation course here with our local TAFE providers and put that course in place and have been helping electricians or electrical background workers to update their skills and then get jobs in the solar industry. We have opportunities here to build on the strengths across the board and also, looking for opportunities where we do have innovation here and supporting
1: that. The health sector has become one of the biggest industries in the region. The local hospital expansion and the National Disability Scheme are expected to create 1,000 jobs over the next two years. New aged care homes are opening in three of the region's towns, too.
4: I think people are starting to think that we do have lots to offer here and it's a matter of helping people realise that.
1: The world is grappling with the threat of climate change. The United Nations has warned greenhouse gas emissions must reach zero by 2050 in order to hold warming at one and a half degrees. The AVC has worked out 12 Australian coal-fired power stations would need to close by 2030 to reach that target. And that means considerable readjustment as people face an uncertain future. Before 2016, figures like that would have sent a chill through the South Australian city of Port Augusta. For the mayor, Sam Johnson, the power industry was simply part of life.
5: It was a common thing amongst most families that typically you would finish school and you would virtually just front up to the gates and get yourself an apprenticeship for the following year. I mean, there was a significant number of apprenticeships that were always just there. It was an expectation that you just finish school and you picked which trade you wanted to do and, and you went and done it.
1: He says the community knew the power station wouldn't last forever, so they had started looking into new options, thinking they had about 10 years to prepare. They ended up in crisis.
4: Good evening. South Australia is in the grips of a jobs crisis, our unemployment rate surging to its highest level in 14 years and the worst in the nation. Energy company Alinta today confirming the closure of its Port Augusta power station and Lee Creek coal mine at the expense of more than 400 workers and possibly an entire...
1: They had nine months to get their new projects up and running to pay the bills.
5: We realised we had to hit the road. We had to be anywhere and everywhere exploring any opportunity, any possibility, anything we could do. Our cries for help were falling on deaf ears from a state government level. When we tried at Commonwealth level, we were told continually time and time again by relevant Commonwealth ministers that it was a state problem, not a Commonwealth problem. So there was clearly no ownership or buy-in or responsibility from a state or federal level which forced us to go, we've got to do this and we've got to do it on our own. And we developed our own transition plan. And that was literally one of those exercises where we sat down and said, Right who are we, what are we, and what do we want? What do we want to see our region look like over a period of time? And how do we start to send some of those positive messages to the market that this is what we want to do and this is how we're going to do it? And for Port Augusta, uh, we identified very quickly, as many others identified as well. For example, Professor Rosgano in the uh, report that he uh, presented for the then Abbott government around renewable energy and, and climate change, actually identified in that report that one of the best places in the world to invest in renewable energy is actually the upper Spencer Gulf region in South Australia. So you know, we knew we had world-renowned industry experts saying that we've got a massive resource sitting here, no different than having a big gold reserve or a uranium or a copper reserve or diamonds or whatever it is, but we had this huge reserve sitting right here at our, our front doorstep, and we need to capitalise on it. So we started sending that message to market that, all right, we used to be a coal generator of energy, Now we're just simply transitioning. We're still going to be an energy generator. We're still connected to the national grid. We're just going to unplug one source and we're going to plug in a few others.
1: Sam Johnson now calls his hometown the renewables capital of Australia. A concentrating thermal energy plant is leading the charge. It's already up and running on the outskirts of the city.
0: The power of the future. What if we could offer a renewable technology to complement coal and nuclear? while keeping the hard-working people that build and run our power plants. What if this new energy came from the sun and could be stored in salt, renewable and clean? Well, we can, because of solar reserve. This new
1: breed of, of energy works by really a sea of mirrors beaming the sun onto a giant light receiver that creates steam, turns a turbine and makes electricity. Renewables are powering the local agricultural sector too.
5: So Sundrop Farms is a very successful producer of tomatoes using solar thermal, so renewable energy technology. World First, highly successful, has major contracts with companies like Coles for a 10-year period. You look at someone like Sundrop and and every politician loves to claim success for it, but yet of all their employees, they're trying to give them the skills and training, for example, a Certificate for in Horticulture, but no-one can provide it. So here we are, we're saying, we've got this great new industry, it's fantastic, but we haven't backed it by ensuring that we can actually give the employees and that business the appropriate people to actually work in it. So unfortunately, a majority of their workforce, or a good portion of their workforce, actually comes out of the Philippines.
1: They worked out that the best way to get that training was to start their own tertiary education centre. Now education is another new industry on their books.
5: Only 11% of the people in our population have actually completed a qualification of Certificate four or above. And one of the major reasons was the hurdles to obtaining it. It was too hard, you had to relocate away later, you had to go into state, or the, you know, access to it wasn't there. So we did a full business case for actually developing what's called a COTECH. We've launched it, so UniHub Spencer Gulf is a real thing. We launched it two months ago, it's happening. We have now 150 registrations of people on varying degrees and, and training next year. It actually goes to relevant industry partners and says, what do you need? So it's a tailored education facility. So we can go to the Sundrop farms and say, right, you want a certificate for in horticulture? How many people you got? We'll tender it to the national market. We can go to companies like Oz Minerals who are building the Carapatina mine and say, you need 50 engineers? What do you want your degree to look like? We'll tender it.
1: As the region holds on through this roller coaster of change, Sam Johnson says they've realized towns and cities need to work together to survive.
5: Being singular industry towns is very dangerous and we want to diversify out of that whilst we acknowledge those big industries and we support them, we welcome them, and we'll continue to work with them. We also know we need to, to diversify and we identify different areas, whether it be renewable energy or arid agriculture innovation, mining services and processing, uh, the work in defence, intermodal transport logistics, events and cultural-based tourism, growing the public sector, higher education research. All of those things are key areas. This is a big thing. We're talking about Australia moving forward and its next chapter in the upper Spencer Gulf region is no orphan in this, but it now requires the leadership and the conviction and the vision of our elected representatives to actually drive it forward and make it happen.
1: About an hour's drive southwest in Wyala, manufacturing is still the main game. The steel works nearly closed, but British billionaire Sanjeev Gupta saved the business in July 2017. Renewables are about to make a big splash down there too with a one billion dollar solar farm due to start taking shape in 2019. Sam Johnson says the next 12 months will be big.
5: That'll be our exciting times because that's when we're really gonna start to see that significant investment in places like Port Augusta and even Wyala with the purchase of CNG Gupta and the steelworks when his investment starts to roll out in 2019 as well. So that'll be the real starting point I think for that transition to, to take place, but it will be a big change, it'll be a significant change because we're talking about a different skills base and different people that are going to be required to deliver on some of these new industry and some of these new projects and the ongoing employment as well. So we are gonna see that change and we're gonna see it in a good way, I think. It's gonna be a way to help grow us as a community and a city and also to help grow us as a region.
1: Communities need help to move forward and they can turn to people like Amanda Carl from The Next Economy. She visits regions dealing with change to help them start planning. When you go to these
3: communities and you make your presentation, what do you say to them? Over the last 20 years, there's been massive changes in regional Australia. Services have been taken away. There's an ageing population. There's Young people have moved away. So there's been a real shift and people feel abandoned. So it's really important to acknowledge that that there is fear and there is uncertainty and then to start to talk about but what do you have to work with what is still here what are you proud of what do you love about your community and what can you start to build on for the future like what do you want to keep for the future and it's really interesting seeing the shift in the room (laughs) so i'll often be in a community hall with 150 200 people and everyone's got their arms crossed saying oh you one of these greenies from the city And then within 15 minutes of a presentation of saying, yeah, things are kind of hard right now and this is what's going on in other communities that I see. You're not on your own and you've got a choice. Like, there's another way of doing this and it's practical, it's grounded, it's within your control if you want to. And then always backing that up with a workshop so people have a chance to process it.
1: Amanda Carl was working in Asia when a community group called her to help the North Queensland town of Mackay that was grappling with the mining downturn. She says it didn't take long before industry groups were calling
3: for help too. After I got back to Brisbane, the phone started to ring and all these emails came in and it was people like the head of the Chamber of Commerce and head of the sugar industry and councillors all saying, don't tell anyone I'm talking to you. I'm not a greenie, but you make sense. I heard you on the radio, I went to your presentation and we've got to think about the economy and can you help us think about how we do that and how we plan for that?
1: She's working with the City Council in Townsville at the moment. The region is battling an economic downturn from the drought and public sector job cuts. There's hope renewable energy will help turn that around. There's already projects on the go. One is a couple of hours southwest of the city. It will combine wind turbines, solar panels, and battery storage to pump about 50 megawatts into the power grid at any time. Amanda Carl explains communities moving from one industry to another, or lots of others, have many questions to ask themselves and answer.
3: You know, how are you going to look after workers? How do you make sure the community and the economy actually is able to survive that change? What do you do about rehabilitation, like where there's massive holes in the ground and massive power stations, what do we do with them? How do you make sure that low-income households and other people who are generally marginalised and already doing it tough aren't going to suffer even more?
1: With new industries come new challenges. The shift away from traditional industries in some regions has also caused a shift in the nature of the work available. Amanda Carl worked with the Latrobe Valley community before and after the closure of the Hazelwood Power Station. She says the demise of power generation in the region also marked the end of a lot of the secure, well-paid employment.
3: I was talking to a young guy he was being made redundant and he de skilled, like he'd been trained as an engineer and then didn't actually work as an engineer. And he was saying he was going to lose his job of 180 grand and he might have to sell one of his investment properties because he couldn't get the dole because he'd earned too much and the payout was too much. And he was looking at jobs that were only going to pay 60 grand a year and that was terrible. And I was like, hmm, okay, welcome, welcome to the rest of Australia. <laughs> But then I thought about it afterwards and I thought, you know, he's actually got a point. That's a highly unionised job workforce and they have been protected. And how have the rest of us actually enabled us to get into the situation where like 40 something percent of jobs are casual or part time jobs? Like it's actually rare to get a full time job and they're not well paid and we haven't had wage increases.
2: When I was growing up, I never thought that jobs would disappear, the concept of jobs would disappear. We always had the, you know, you're employed at the SEC, you had a job for life. And there's been a cultural shift in the last 20 years to contracts, which most people are under now. Most people don't have jobs as we knew it then. Uh, So I didn't see that coming.
3: So a lot of the questions that come out of these contexts are actually quite radical questions about how the economy works. It's like, well, what's the point of the economy if we can't support our livelihood, if we're working multiple jobs and we're just keeping our head above water?
1: After having good wages for so long, Karen Kane says it took time to convince some workers to look at other jobs. Once
4: people have taken time to assess their situation and determine what they would like to do, I think the majority of workers that we've been dealing with want to continue to work and making that adjustment to a changing set of work conditions has been a challenge for some. But generally, I think people want to be able to, you know, have a job every day and be able to contribute to something that's meaningful for them and their community. So I think we've gone past that concern at this stage and that barrier.
1: You're listening to Future Tense. I'm Stephanie Smale. Today we're looking at communities in transition and how they're adapting to create a new future. The growing renewable energy sector has some opponents already. The Australian Council of Trade Unions, or the ACTU, isn't happy about the amount of contract work and fly-in, fly-out jobs. Lance McCallum is from the union.
0: What we've seen today is there are some bad actors out there that are offering low-paid, insecure work. There's been reports of backpackers working on solar farms in Queensland and Victoria, which is obviously unacceptable. We absolutely need to make sure that the jobs and opportunities that are created in the transition are decent, secure and well paid. If we don't, then the renewable industry will risk losing a social licence to operate, particularly in these regional communities. And government's got a role to play in that
1: the union wants the federal government to create a national authority to help communities as they move from one industry to others.
0: What we're advocating for is the establishment of a transition authority that would oversee the transition of the industry, first at a national level, but it needs to work with local and regional governments to identify and tailor solutions for particular communities. But there needs to be an overall plan to make sure that for once, it's not going to be a reactive transition and it can be proactive and the effects are managed in an equitable way. Fundamentally, what we're trying to do is make sure that affected workers and communities can actually flourish through the transition and not just survive. And we really think that a national transition authority would be a step in the right direction we're seeing similar moves in other international jurisdictions. New Zealand has established a climate commission. Similarly, Scotland made an announcement at the end of 2017 that it was establishing a just transition commission. There's a lot of international momentum for ensuring that there is a just transition and the jobs created in the renewable sector are decent and secure.
1: There are other parts of the country where things are going okay, but they're exploring new industries to keep boosting their economy anyway. Gloucester, in the New South Wales Hunter Valley, has had its share of ups and downs. The deregulation of the dairy industry and the demise of the timber sector hit the region hard. A bitter battle over a potential coal seam gas industry didn't help either. But with a healthy tourism industry, agricultural wealth and a busy manufacturing sector, the region doesn't have to rush to find new ways to support itself.
3: It's a grey winter's day in the town of Gloucester. There's great coffee and a warm fire. It's our chance to study the map. Destination
6: Gloucester Tops.
3: We head out of town.
6: Julie
1: Lyford from the community group Groundswell Gloucester admits it's already a vibrant area. But she explains residents want a range of sustainable ways to keep the local economy going.
6: Tourism and getting people to relocate here for lifestyle but also bringing some of their capital, some of their experience, culture, wisdom and those people then invested in Gloucester. We have some incredible businesses that have started with three employees and now have 80 employees producing camp kitchens where a lot of the young men in Gloucester have become carpenters, gone on to have their own building business, employing people themselves. So there is a lot of renewal happening. However, it would be fair to say the wages are comparatively low, even though the lifestyle is is of a high quality some people thought that they would get employment within the coal seam gas industry which didn't happen it was wasn't going to happen through hydrogeological and geological issues as well as a major protest against coal seam gas in the valley so i think there is the eternal question of how do we continue to give hope and a progressive outlook for those wanting to live in gloucester and have ma- meaningful employment
1: Julie Lyford is excited about the ways businesses like the local camp kitchen builders are using renewable
6: energy. Their entire roof surface is covered with solar panels and they rely quite heavily on the solar energy that they generate. Energised Gloucester are well on their way now, they've already got solar panels on the neighbourhood centre to try and decrease the cost there and a pilot project for a solar farm.
1: As we've heard so far, renewable energy is becoming a popular choice for communities moving away from traditional industries. But do experts believe solar and wind projects can create as many jobs or make as much money? The Grattan Institute's Energy Director, Tony Wood, says it's unlikely.
7: During the construction phase of building large wind farms, large solar farms and possibly things like battery storage pumped hydro and pumped hydro may be one that creates significant long-term jobs but we don't yet know how many of those sort of projects are likely to be developed and there's probably only going to be a couple of really big ones but the very nature of renewable energy projects is that after they're constructed the ongoing operational costs of these things are very very low indeed the level of jobs that are created and the nature of those jobs does fundamentally change
1: but he explains the industry is quickly becoming a bigger part of Australia's energy future
7: renewable energy industry is what I would describe as being in its ugly teenage years and what I mean by that is that it's starting to have an impact it's no longer a child you can ignore half the day when they're asleep it is starting to have an impact across the board it's starting to contribute positively and some of the challenges of dealing with this sometimes recalcitrant teenager are also becoming obvious, it tends to make a bit of a mess from time to time, it doesn't always contribute in the way we've traditionally thought of energy contributing to energy supply, it's different we've got to deal with that difference and I think as the industry grows and grows it'll become more of a contributing adult. So in South Australia it grew up too quickly in a sense and now we're struggling to deal with the consequences of very high levels of renewable energy in that state. The other states of Australia don't tend to have that high level of intermittent supply and in through solar and wind and so we're not seeing yet the same things emerging but we will. We've got to deal with this emerging industry in a way that's constructive and of course it isn't necessarily at least for the next 20 or 30 years more renewables is the only answer. I think there most likely will be a role for gas. There will be a role for thinking about the way we consume electricity as well, not just how much we consume, but when we consume it. I think we'll see more microgrids where you're, it's almost back to the future where the local community, instead of being connected by very long wires to Melbourne or Sydney, local communities will be off-grid. They'll have their own solar, possibly wind with storage, Maybe they'll have a smallish diesel generator for now while we sort out other things. And it's by no means the case that it's all bad. I think the diversity, the regional activity, sort of going back to community, all would be very positive things. On the other hand, of course, we still got to think about how we power our major cities like you know, Sydney and Melbourne and so forth.
3: It's inevitable it's going to happen anyway. We can do it the rough way or we can actually look at how we plan it out and have a smoother transition so no one gets left behind in that because to me that's a justice issue you know this could happen really quickly overnight and workers and communities can just get dumped there are some towns where mining is massive that maybe don't have a lot of opportunities so let's have that conversation about is it you know winding down over time like where are people going to move to how do we support them
1: are there communities in australia that you're worried about
3: Yeah, I think as things get tighter and the debate gets nastier, there'll be more denial rather than less. It's actually harder to work with people when they're already in the crisis point. So some of the smaller mining towns, maybe in central Queensland, you know, they came out of cattle farming, but that's not viable anymore either.
1: While some communities are just beginning to wonder what their future will look like, the Latrobe Valley in Victoria is on the up. The jobless rate dropped about 5% from December 2016 to December 2017. Ron Ibsen says things are getting better in his community, but there's still a long way to go.
2: There's no silver bullet. You have to work a lot of little programs. You have to ask your people. You have to ask your community what they need. You have to look at your community. You can't do a top-down approach. You have to bring your community up so that they believe in themselves. Many people refer to it as going away from coal. You really, really cannot use those kind of words. You must lead them towards something rather than hitting them with a stick and telling them they've got, they have to leave what they already know, what they've known for years and years and years. In our case, generations. The best thing you can do is teach them to cope with the change. Give them the skills to cope with the change. Build their resilience. Build their ability to go and find new jobs. Build their ability to look at themselves. Empower them. Your community can fix it and can heal itself, but it must believe in itself first.
1: Former power worker Ron Ipsen there from the Latrobe Valley in Victoria. We also heard today from Amanda Carl, Tony Wood, Karen Kane, Julie Lyford, Sam Johnson and Lance McCallum. If you want to listen to this episode again or any of our past programs, you'll find the podcast by going to the Future Tense website. Next week, Anthony Fennell will be back in the chair with four perspectives on a decade of living under the spell of the smartphone. Thanks to Dave White, our sound engineer, for this edition. I'm Stephanie Smale. Thanks for joining me.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast.